Welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. Pastor goes to a, a couple's house for dinner, a couple from his church. And they have a really nice dinner. And at the end of the night, pastor goes home. Wife says to the husband, I think he took our spoon. Husband says, no, he wouldn't do that. She's like, yeah, I think he took our spoon. Anyway, time goes, a year later, they invite the pastor back for dinner. So they're at dinner, it's all going well. And the wife just couldn't help herself. So she says to the pastor, did you take our spoon? when you were here last? Pastor says, no, I put it in your Bible. (laughs) All right, but that's not what my message is about today. Um, I wonder if I can um, get you to go to two scriptures. We've got two scriptures today. So I want to go there first, if you can just mark them. The first one is Luke 7, verse 2 to 10. And then just go a little bit to the right. The second is Luke 11. And we're going to read verse 1 to 4. So when you've got that, just say, got it. So the title of my message today, have we got it? Have we got it? Okay. So the title of my message today is, Are Your Barns Full? All right, so you can all relax. It's not a message about money. I'm not going to talk about tithing. It's not about prosperity. I'm talking about your spiritual barns. Are your spiritual barns full? And what are you storing in yours? That's that's the question. See, because ideally, our barns should be full of faith. As Christians, our spiritual barns should be full of faith in Jesus. You know, in, um, in ancient times, their big barns stored grain, right? So the grain barns, they served two purposes. They were to store food, so the grain that they were going to use for the coming year and even beyond, and also seed. And I think that our, our spiritual barns should be full of seed too. Jesus said, you just need the faith of a mustard seed. How many mustard seeds are in your barns? because that's all you need. But you know, um, something I've learned, you know, our eyes, our ears, they actually act as portals almost into our spirit and into our soul. So what you expose your eyes to, what you see, what you hear, that's going to feed into your soul. That's, that's in, a, in a sense, going to feed into that, um, that spiritual bond. So what are you exposing yourself to? Right? Is it, is it Netflix? Do you watch a lot of sport? You know, footy season rolls around and is that all you do? Watch game after game? Is it, is it perhaps shopping? What sort of music are you listening to? Because all of that is feeding into your spirit and it's storing up and it's going to influence you. You may not realise it, but all that stuff that we have in our lives... It disciples us. Like it, it, it can't not. And it makes little deposits into, into our spirit. And you know when life gets tough, which it does, we, we all know that, 
you're going to need to make some withdrawals from your spiritual barn. What is in there? And is it useful for what you need in that season when time gets tough? And I think, well, for me, when times get tough, I always go back to my past experiences with God because I have to remind myself, because you know when, when you're faced with a situation that's quite confronting, that you don't have answers, you don't, you're not thinking full of faith. So I have to remind myself, okay, what did God do back then? Oh, yeah. And then I remember the little ways that he changed things, where his hand was, you know, where he, he moved situations in my favour, where he did what I couldn't do. So when things are not like smooth sailing, when life isn't rainbows and unicorns, which we would love it to be, I would love it if things could just be all hunky-dory all the time. And, you know, this is going to sound really immature, but when I was younger, I used to think, well, if I'm a Christian and I've given my heart to Jesus and my life is right with the Lord, then everything is going to be perfect because God's got my back and, and God's going to work everything out in the background for me so that everything is just lovely. And that's really nice in theory, but the truth is it's nothing like that. You know, it's like I remember when I was planning to have kids, right? It took ages. I was like an old, they call you a geriatric mother. And, um, and so, we, you know, we started planning when we're going to do this. And then all of a sudden, the only ads I saw on TV were the Huggies ads, right? You know the ones? Babies like, oh, <laughs> all happy. Everyone is all hugs and kisses and... You know, and you can't smell dirty nappies through the TV, so you never got any of that. You had, like, the mother who has blow-dried hair and makeup. Hello, blow-dried hair and makeup. It's nothing like that. So I used to think that that's what life would be like if I was a Christian with my heart right before the Lord. That's how it would be. But it's actually not like that at all. Maybe it's like that 10% of the time, but we are in... We are in a battle. We are in a real war. There is a real enemy that is after your soul. He's after your mind. He's, he's um, man, he's trying to do you down. And, you know, if you're, um, if you're someone who doesn't go through tough times, where you're not in a season of trial, where you're not struggling... You know, then maybe this isn't for you. And I'm really happy for you that your life is all good. But for the rest of us, we need to have our storehouses full of seeds of faith. Because there is no way, there is no way on your own you can do this life and live it well and come out at the other end. There just isn't. You just can't do it um, by yourself. Because it's a storm that we have to navigate. So what do we do? What do we do when we find ourselves in a desperate situation? When it's, um, it's bigger than us. When nothing that we can change or nothing that we can do is going to change the situation. We get desperate, right? And we start praying those desperate prayers. I pray them all the time. You know the ones where you... Um, <laughs> and you ask God why, right? But it's like a loaded why. You're not... You're not so much saying, God, why is this happening? Sometimes what we're saying is, God, why are you not doing anything about this for me? Right? And it's, it's not like we're wanting to blame him. But 
at that point, we've, we've tried everything that we know and it's not worked. And then we go to God when actually our first port of call is supposed to be him. It's not supposed to be our own strength. It's supposed to be him. And when we, we get down on our knees, those desperate prayers, they're so full of emotion and anxiety. And, um, and look, I, I'm probably the only person who's ever done this, but like I've tried to make deals with God. Like, Lord, Lord, if you do this for me, Father, if you do this for me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to join that ministry you've been t- talking to me about. Lord, I'm, I'm going to get more involved in church. I'm going to volunteer more. Or we even think, and, and I must be honest, I've done this before, Father, I'm going to sow a seed of faith for my miracle. And, and it's like we're going we're gonna to buy God. We're, we're thinking we're so desperate. We think we're going to buy him. Well, he doesn't work like that. He can't be bought. You know, it's like in that moment, we've forgotten there's a thing called grace. That's actually his operating system. It's not that we can buy him or we can do anything to make his hand move. But what if I told you there was a way you could actually be ready for all those storms of life? What if I told you there was a way you could have a backup and have your backup backed up? Right? Because there is a way that that can happen. There is a way that you can have a mindset of, I call it no doubt faith, where you know that you know that you know that God is going to do it for you because you, you have no way to do it yourself. So let's go to our first scripture. Let's go to Luke 7, verse 10. Now, both, of, um, both these passages should be super familiar to us. Um, I'm reading it from the ESV. All right, so verse 2. Now, a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, and he was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy that you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I do not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority, uh, hang on, I've lost my way, set under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does this. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turning to the crowd that was following him, he said, I tell you, not even a man in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant healed. Now that's complete and perfect, unwavering faith, right? And what's so amazing about that, this was a centurion, right? He wasn't Jewish. He was, um, he was, he was a Roman. He didn't grow up in synagogue. He didn't learn Torah. He, he didn't learn about the history, how God had parted the Red Sea. 
he, he didn't learn how, you know, the Lord had done such incredible things, those 40 years in the desert. He didn't learn about the manna from heaven. He didn't learn about water coming out of the rock. He didn't learn about any of that. He was a soldier, but he understood authority and he also understood the breadth and scope of the power that authority comes with. Right, so the text tells us that the Jewish leaders pleaded earnestly with Jesus on his behalf. So that in itself is a little bit of an anomaly because in first century Palestine, Israel was under Roman occupation. And so the centurions and, and the Roman government and the authority actually were oppressing the Jewish people. So there was no love lost. You know, it would be, it would be like the Russians coming to invade Australia and all of a sudden there were certain things that we couldn't do and they, they dictated what we did. But what's interesting about the occupation at that time, Israel's position was in between two trading ports that the Romans um, also occupied. And so what the Romans did was they allowed the Jewish people to keep a whole lot of their traditions. They, they allowed them to, um, to maintain their religion. They still observed the Sabbath, their festivals. There were a whole lot of things that were really important to Jewish people that the Romans allowed to keep the peace because it was really important because they needed safe travel. They needed passage from one of those countries to the other. And so the synagogue was, um, was still open and people could still go and worship. Now, here it tells us that this particular centurion loved the Jews. That means he spent time with them, right? Because you're not going to hang out with people that you don't like. Also said that he, he built the synagogue, so he helped them build the synagogue. So he's in this environment of where they're teaching, where they're learning, where they're talking about God. So surely he picked up on some of that, right? Because how else would he know? And then Jesus comes on the scene, right? And Jesus was very popular in his day. He was controversial, but he was popular. And they were all talking about him in synagogue and outside of it. So he would have heard about Jesus. But we don't have a recording scripture of this centurion actually coming into contact with Jesus. Because even in this miracle... There's no contact with Jesus at all. He's actually just going on hearsay. He may have seen something. Um, he may have seen a miracle in the street, but that was all he had. Yet he understood what Jesus carried just by what he heard. He didn't have Jesus living in his heart like we do. He didn't have experiences where God had met with him or the Lord had spoken to him. He just had hearing, but he understood the authority. And I think that's something that we forget so often. You know, we, do we think that because we, we worship uh, an invisible God to the, the human eye, that he doesn't have the same power, that he doesn't have the same clout? But he does. He's got that and so much more. Um, I just want to draw your attention to verse 6. And seven, just on, on this authority. And Jesus went with them. And when he wasn't far from the house, the centurion sent friends. And he said, Lord, do not trouble yourself. You know what's interesting um, about this? It's Lord with a capital L. Right? It's not like 
Lord, my husband, my Lord, or um, that's what they used to call them, my Lord, um, husbands. But it's not, it's not my Lord, the one that is over me. It's capital L, Lord, right? So Romans, they were a, um, they, they, it was a polytheistic color, so a, a, a culture. So they had lots of gods, all little gods with little Gs. You know, there was a God for this and a God for that and a God if you needed this. But this Roman actually addressed him as Lord with the big L. So that in itself tells us the authority that he had um, or that the centurion, the understanding that the centurion had um, in him. You see, because the authority of Jesus, it comes from God because Jesus is God. He is the Son of God, and he came down to earth from God. And, you know, sometimes it's hard to wrap your head around this, but when Jesus was on earth, he was fully God, and he was fully man, right? So that power, that authority, that strength that he had, um, that position that he had in heaven and in the heavenly, heavenly realm, he actually had that on earth too, but he was also man, Right? And he, he prayed all the time, like we do, or like we're supposed to. He often went away by himself and he prayed. Spending time with the Father was such a priority with, uh, for him. And you know what? It was such a big thing that it was the only thing his disciples asked him to teach them. Right, So the Lord's Prayer is where the disciples said, teach us how to pray. Um, and maybe we'll read this first. Let's go to Luke 11, verse 1 to 4. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, so he's praying. And when he finished one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. So I have to wonder, why was prayer the only thing the disciples asked Jesus to teach them? Because there were a lot of things that they probably wanted to learn. I mean, think about it. Before this, they had seen Jesus heal people. He had done deliverance. He had multiplied the food. They could have said, teach us to heal. You know, teach us how to, um, teach us how to get the lame up and walking. Teach us how to do the thing with the fish and the bread in the baskets. They didn't ask for any of that. They asked, teach us how to pray. Because when Jesus came away from that time that he was on his own with the Father, that's when things happened. So that they, they knew that prayer was important. You know, and for so many of us that grew up in church, maybe you went to Sunday school, maybe you're young enough that you went to kids, kids church or kids club. Um, but this Lord's Prayer, it's something that we were taught and we were, we were almost taught to recite it. And we were never really taught what it meant. And I have always been, um, I've always been interested in it because it seemed like it was so simplified. But there were a few things that were a bit difficult in it, like the, 
the forgive us um, as we forgive others. I used to, to struggle to understand that. But I, I decided, you know what, I'm going to do a little bit of a deep dive into what, what this means. And it was really interesting. Um, Trev, can you put up that first one about father? So the our father, that word father, we, well, I've heard it, um, I've heard it preached that it's the word Abba, right? So the word Abba is like saying daddy or dad. So in this verse, in the original Aramaic, that word father is not Abba, it's the word Abun. So in Aramaic, that word in half, the word Ab is Abba, the word Wun is also translated womb. So it's actually father and mother. We were created in the image of God, male and female. So this is God showing us, this is his completeness, right? It's not just, I am your daddy. This is the, I am everything to you. I am, I am those, those parts that brought you together, that brought you life. So um, the, the translation from Aramaic to English reads, our birther who is everywhere. You birth all things in unity. And the unity um, in that meaning refers to the triune nature of God. So it's talking about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we are actually birthed in, in, and encased and encompassed in the wholeness and the fullness of God. So he made us in that. We didn't just come into the world on our own. We were birthed with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit in us. You know, <laughs> we were created to have unity with him at all times. We were created to, to hold the Trinity in our spirits. We were created to be with him, to abide him. And this is what, to abide in him. That's what Jesus was talking about in John 15, where he said he is the vine. And we are to abide in him and he abide in us because that's how God created us. He didn't create us to, be, um, to, to fly solo, right? And we, we've been created to have seamless connection with him. Your, your perfect place of existence is when you are in relationship with the Father, Son and the Spirit. That is what you were born for. And he created us to worship him. Right? He created us to worship him, to co-labor with him, to partner with him. He never, ever wants us to do anything by ourselves. He never wants us to do anything in our strength. Right? That's, not, that's not how he made us. That was not the purpose. He created us to do things in his strength because we came out with it. We, we're born with it. You know, even those that don't know Jesus, and even if you've not accepted him into your life, you, you have it in you because Jesus made you that way. God made you that way. You know, and um, it's so like counter culture, isn't it? Because our self-reliance, it's, it's taught to us from a young age. I know um, <laughs> I, I grew up in a family where my mother told me, you've got to be independent, be an independent woman, make your own money, do your own thing, don't rely on anyone else. And, and a lot of the time, that is exactly what we're taught. We're taught that we make the decisions that affect our lives. We're taught that we call the shots. Um, 
we taught that, you know, we need to get out there and make it happen. Like, you've got to make it happen for yourself. No one's going to do it for you. How many times have we heard that? Right? That's actually not true. That is such hogwash. It's so, um, you know, the kingdom of God, it's like the right side up, but the world is upside down. Right? God doesn't want you to be self-reliant. That, that's, um, that's just going to draw you away from him. He wants you to be reliant on him. He doesn't want you to strive to create opportunities. He doesn't want you to work hard to make things happen. That's not how he rolls. That's, that's counter kingdom. It may be what we're exposed to all the time, but that's not how God wants us um, to live because that pulls us away from him. In a sense, it makes us, um, oh, it makes us gods in our own eyes because we're, we're making it all happen for us, right? We're not, our, our source is to come from him we are not supposed to be self-made. We're not supposed to create our own, our own opportunities. That, that way of thinking that we can do it ourselves, that is not a boon. That is not God creating life in us with the Father, Son, and the Spirit, right? And isn't that a relief, right? Because we are his, that, that's who we belong to. And I think that's so important for us to know who, who's you are. Who, who are you? you? You're a child of God, right? Children don't go and get everything for themselves. You know, children in a normal family don't have to make their own dinner. They don't have to go and earn their own money, right? They don't have to drop themselves at school because they've got a parent who loves them, who does that for them. And it's exactly the same with God. He doesn't want us to do everything ourselves because he has already put things in place. Everything that we need, he has put in place. He wants us to rely on him and to come to him for that stuff that we need. We don't need to come up with a solution for every problem. All right, let's move on to the next part, the hallowed be your name. I'm just going to touch on these two today. Um, So hallowed be your name. I remember struggling with this word hallowed. I think, Bunny, I even asked you once, what does the word hallowed mean? Um, But this is the the translation again from the original Aramaic, and that was the language Jesus would have spoken. So the translation is, we clear holy space around your name within. Let it be the centre on which our life turns holy space right so what we're doing we're making Jesus the priority we're making him the center we're making God the middle of the middle and that's what and that's what we're we're continually continually looking at you just have to look in the middle but we're busy right life is busy you can't always be looking in the middle because there's so many little things that distract you, so many little spot fires you may have to put out every day, so many things that are um, they're vying for your attention, right? And our circumstance is going to be so distracting as well, which is exactly what the enemy wants. He wants to keep us busy because when we're really busy, we're not looking in the middle. We're looking at the circumstances. We're looking at all the things that we need to fix. We're looking at like a shiny thing over here. And oh my goodness, look at this new release that Netflix is, has just got out. I need to watch that. Like we're, we're looking at every single thing 
but we're not focused. We're not focused on the middle. And we, we've taken our eyes off Jesus, which is exactly what Peter did. Um, I'm going to read Matthew 14, 22. Um, so this is, we all know the story, right? This is Peter getting out of the boat to walk with Jesus. Jesus comes walking along the water. So we'll start at verse 22 and it reads, Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. So there's Jesus praying again. I told you he did it all the time. When evening came, he was alone. But, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But the disciples saw him crossing the sea. They were terrified and said, is it a ghost? And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I, don't be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, so he is Jesus, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And, be, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? So take note, Jesus had just gone away to pray alone. And then the disciples see him walking on water. It's a wonder they asked him to teach him to pray. You know, and in this, um, <laughs> something I didn't realize until just recently. So in this story, um, the disciples had been out like all night. And it says that at the beginning of the night, the wind started to kick up. So they were actually battling this bad weather for hours and hours. And it was somewhere between three and five in the morning when Jesus walked um, across the water. So potentially, you know, if they'd gotten on the water when it was dark, say it was nine o'clock and then it was three o'clock when Jesus um, walked on the water, they had been out in this storm for three hours. So for three hours, the weather was terrible and the sea was, um, was, wasn't cooperating with them. So in, <laughs> in, that, in that terrible situation, it was Peter's idea to walk out. Jesus actually didn't call Peter to come and join him, Peter actually said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Peter made his request to Jesus. That was like his prayer request. How many times do we go to God in a desperate situation and we make a request, a bold one, a big one, and we say, Lord, move. And God tells you to do something in response to that. And you're like, yes, I'm going to do it. And so you do it. And then it doesn't quite pan out in your timing. Or things don't work out the way you thought they would, right? And all of a sudden, you become distracted because now what you're doing, instead of focusing on what God told you to do, you're looking at what's going wrong from your perspective. And you take your eyes off Jesus, right? Which, <laughs> which is not what what God wants. God wants us to draw close to him. When he tells us to do something, he's not saying, I want you to do this and then you're on your own. He's saying, do this. This is the first step. We will take another step. 
together once you've done that and another step together once you've done that. It's a, it's a work in progress. But we want to just see everything happen and everything be sort of sorted out in record time the way we want it to. And I've done that. I've gone to God with those desperate prayers. And, you know, even the not so desperate where I've asked the Lord for something and I've prayed and then I've kind of told him how I think he should answer it and this is the plan for how it's going to work, right? Am I the only one who's done that, right? And and then when that doesn't happen, you're like, but but what I, 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 I heard from you and I prayed earnestly. You know, it's, it's, um, it's not our job to move his hand to answer our prayers, right? Our, our job is just to draw close to him. Our job is to keep our eyes on him, right? That's all he wants. He's like standing there going, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me, right? That, that's all he wants from us. And you know... Um, when Peter started sinking, he took his eyes off God. He saw the storm. He saw the wind. He realized how rough the sea was. I mean, let's face it. Like, it, even in calm waters, is that not crazy to get out of a boat and walk on the water? Even in calm waters. But he's doing it in the rough waters. And when he realizes, oh, my goodness, it is out of control here, he starts to sink because his eyes, his eyes only look at the circumstances His eyes only look at what's around him. They don't look at what's in front of him. And what was in front of him at that point was the Lord. And you know what I I love about that scripture? When When Jesus says to him, let me find it. When he starts to sink, Jesus says to him, Oh, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? Jesus doesn't actually rebuke him. Jesus doesn't say, Peter, oh my goodness, you saw me heal the leper. You saw me heal the lame person. You saw me turn the fish and the bread into food for like 10,000 people. Did you not think that I was going to be able to make sure you could walk on water? He doesn't say any of that. He makes a statement, which is factual. He says, oh, you of little faith. And then he says, why did you doubt? Now, I don't know about you, but when I see that and I read that, I see the empathy that Jesus had. Um, I think the other thing worth noting about this as well is Jesus said, why did you doubt? So Jesus actually uses past tense for their present tense situation, right? Peter made a mistake. His, his, faith, his faith failed him, Right? But Jesus was there to pick him up. So Jesus actually reached out his hand, pulled him up out of the water first. And then he said to him, why did you doubt? See, when we make a mistake, God's already forgotten about it. You know, Jesus could have said, like, why do you doubt? I I can do this. But he said, why did you? Because he's actually over it and he's moved on. And even though it was Peter's idea and he messed up, Jesus wasn't going to hold that responsible for him. See, when we're in a terrible situation and we pray and we bring our petitions and requests before the Lord and we look to Jesus, that's when we're to draw close. That's when we're to spend the time. That's when we're to commit. You know, we, we like to call it quality time, but that's when we're supposed to have that with him, right?
you want to take that wild step of faith, you've got to understand that's, that's a commitment. You know, if God asks you to step into something and you say, yes, I'm going to do it, it's not just yes for now. It's a whole process. And, you know, the, the big thing to understand about that is God will ask us to step into something and we'll, we'll do it, but he's stepping with us the entire way. And our faith comes into play where we recognize that we may not see him all the time because he may not move the way we think that he should move in that. You know, he, he may not do um, things in the timings that we think he should do them, but he's there with us. When things get bad and we get all emotional and, and, and things are bad, if things look hopeless, you know, that's, that's not, um, that's not so, so abnormal. That's not unusual. But to know that when things look hopeless, that he's there anyway. When things are so dark that you can't see the hand of God move, it doesn't mean he's not there. It doesn't mean that he's not working in the background. Let's, um, let's do what Jesus did, right? He prayed. He prayed a lot. That's how he filled his barn. He spent time with the Father. He got to know him. He understood his nature. And so often, because we don't fully understand God's nature, it makes us not trust him. But I think that the more time we spend in his presence, the more time we spend even not saying anything and just listening, the more time we sit in his presence and we, we get that sense of his love, where we get that sense of overall fullness and, and completeness, where you feel like, um, this is going to sound really corny, but you know when you're in the presence of the Lord and you're immersed in it and everything feels full, you know, you can just be like, okay, I've arrived. Lord, I'm here. I am here in this perfect place. Those are the times that put deposits into your barn. Those are the things that fill your barn up so that your faith stores are full from when you need them. Your faith stores are full to draw on in times of trouble. You know, because God is, God is good. We like to say that, don't we? God is good all the time, all the time. God is good, right? We don't tend to say that so much when we're going through trials, though. We don't tend to say that when things are not going well. But the Bible says that he works all things together for good for those who love him. And, you know, we... Um, I, I wonder if this is sort of some upside-down doctrine where we say that, you know, what the enemy meant uh, for my harm, the Lord turned around for our good. If all things work together for good um, and God gives us those all good things, I wonder if sometimes the things that we're going through are things that God actually designed to grow us and to build us. And he's allowing us to go through those things because he's building a foundation. He's scaffolding things in our lives and taking us through things so that we can go from one level to the next. And he's equipping us for things that we may not have been ready when we were down here. And we need to go through some things to stretch us, to, to, to build us, to put things in us so that we have got 
deposits of his nature and, and we've got deposits of understanding of how he works. You know, he, man, he, he loves us beyond our imagination. You know that God is good by nature, right? God is love. That, that, is, that is his nature. He can't, be, he can't be any other way. And even in discipline, when he rebukes us, he does it in love. So intrinsically, he is actually good. Intrinsically, he wants us to come to him for his goodness, always. Intrinsically, he wants us to understand that he is all we need. And we say that all the time, Lord, you are all I need. You really are, you're all I need. But then when we're, we're faced with something, we, we go everywhere else except for come to him. He actually wants us to be his all in all. He wants us to be um, to, to have an understanding that he is enough, even, even in the trials. You know, John 16, 33, the last verse of John, Jesus said, I have said these things to you that you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world, right? So he's, he's playing down saying, it's not going to be perfect all the time, but I have overcome the world. You are starting from a place of it is finished. You know, when you're in the middle of that thing that really is too much to bear, remember you're starting from a place of it is finished. Jesus died on the cross for all that. Jesus died on the cross for everything that you've gone through, everything that you're going to go through. His love is always going to be enough. But the only way to access that is to draw close to him. You know, and I, my, my heart, my heart is that we all have such a, such an intimate relationship with him, that we have such a close connection. You know, that our, the signal, the signal from heaven, what we hear, what we see from him, that it is so clear that there's no buffering, that we just hear from him. And here's our first port of call. Jesus just wants to be our first port of call. You know, and um, can I get everyone to stand? Can I, can I get you all to stand? I want to pray. You know, I, I wonder how many of us have forgotten who our first love is. Because our first love, it, it's a person. It's someone who cares deeply for us is someone who loved us before we were even born. It's someone who has already ordered the steps for our life. It's someone who already has, has, um, has put into place everything that we need, but he wants us to come to him. You know, and maybe we just need to make a fresh commitment, a fresh, resolute commitment to seek him first, to fill our spirits, to, um, to fill our hearts and minds with his presence, to make prayer a priority, to make, to make building our faith something to strive towards because it's only faith that pleases him. Lord, we just thank you so much. Oh, Lord, thank you so much that you Father, that you love us, that you have provided for us, 
Thank you, Jesus, that you made a way for us to have relationship with the Father and Lord today. We just want to commit to you. We want to say, Father, we want to know you. We want to be in your presence. Lord, we know we carry your presence and your spirit in us. But Lord, may that, may that come out of us when we go through things. May we have your spirit out of us. May we change the atmosphere where we go. May we use those, those seeds of faith to overcome those challenges in our life. And may we never, ever, never, ever look to ourselves or look to external influences and, and external things for answers to questions. May you be the ultimate answer. And Lord, this morning we commit afresh to making it about you and only you, about loving only you and seeking you first. And we pray this in Jesus' name. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.